Uh, so it's week three of October, Sam. We uh, we better get an episode out. It's it's Friday. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, I'm kind of running out of ideas, though. Do you, do you have any ideas? Honestly, not not really. I've kind of spent most of the night awake. Um, just between the screams of the dead and your snoring, I've had plenty of time oh, to think. Yeah. But Sorry about I can't. That. Yeah, it's all right. But I still can't come up with anything. It'd be awful nice if we can get a guest down here. Do uh, you think that dark overlord would allow something like that? Yeah, maybe. Um, didn't we know somebody who wanted to talk about Sheol and, and maybe the afterlife? That's kind of Halloween themed, right? Yeah, yeah. Carson, he wanted to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, look, maybe we can convince him to maybe teleport Carson down here and then we can get the episode in. It'd also be kind of nice to see, you know, somebody other than like Baphomet and the demons. Yeah, so. that's a great idea. Let me see if I can get his attention. Um, he, he left this bell. Who rang that bell? This had better be important. Eternal damnation and torture is a tough job. Not to mention Baphomet called in sick, so I'm stuck picking up a double. It's a real drag. Yeah, I did that. Uh, we were wondering if you could teleport someone down here for us, you know, like uh, to do a guest spot. Yeah, yeah. If we can get like Carson from our church down here, that might make the episode a little bit better. Ugh, fine. Hang on. There, you happy? Now I do have to be running along, so get recording. And don't bother me again. Wait a second. H how do we send Carson back when we're done? Should we just ring the bell? Yep. Just tap it three times and then it'll send him back. <laughs> oh, okay. There's that weird fart noise portal exit again. Yeah. Um, hey, hey, Carson. Sorry, I didn't mean to like rip you from whatever you're doing dressed up as a penguin, but uh, how's it going? Well, it's it's going all right. Um where am I, and why am I dressed as a penguin? Uh, well, first point, you're in the underworld. It's a long story, but basically, we're being held captive here until the end of October to make Halloween-themed episodes. We figured you'd be a good guest to help cover Sheol in the afterlife. Okay, uh, I have a lot of questions, but for now, I guess I'll go along with it, uh, just as long as I can get back afterwards. Yeah, well, right. I, I don't know. It's, it's fine. I mean, it's, as far as the questions go, we basically found a book, opened it up, portal sucked us in, and we're stuck here. Yeah, so, so it's like here. it's like Jumanji kind it, of, it, very almost much. exactly like, yeah. but minus the fun adventure. It's really just we've been eating an absurd amount of candy because that's all they have down here. Yep. Um, Sam snores a lot, so. What it's, what is the uh, the underworld staff doing about Halloween potentially being canceled? <laughs> they, don't, they don't care yeah, about coronavirus. Yeah, I, I don't know that that King Andy has any say down here. <laughs> so, oh, so yeah. <laughs> so I well let's I guess we'll we'll get into the episode instead of politics. But like, uh, yeah. So I suppose um, what happens? I guess it's a question a lot of people have. What happens when we die? Do we go to heaven, hell immediately, um, purgatory? I don't know. Let's go. Hey there, I'm Thomas. And I'm Sam. And this is the Silent Planet Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about Sheol, the afterlife, and uh, we thought it'd be awesome to get our very own Carson Troutman from our church to talk about it. He's an expert on Sheol. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. First, you're well. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll uh, make it up to you if we ever get out of here. Right. So... 
Uh, yeah, so we wanted to uh, uh, cover this idea because we've had, since we've been down here, we've uh, we talked about the idea of should Christians even celebrate Halloween and yep. kind of the origins of where that came out of, the, the Samhain idea. Yep. Um, then we did a, a lesson on like uh, demonology, demons, how they might function, um, talked a little bit about the Nephilim. The idea that they're angels and fallen angels, and there's diversity of form in these angels. And they live beings. in the core of the earth, and they travel around by light beams that shoot out of the core because yeah, the core of the earth is hollow. Tom, Thomas <laughs> had had special candy that day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, have, have you guys been reading the Bible? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we thought, based on the Bible, um, when it talks about the idea of the where we go when we die or the the place of the dead. Um, you're more of an expert uh, on that than I am, and uh, we wanted to have you on and kind of pick your brain on that a little bit. Do, do, do we go straight to heaven or hell? <laughs> well, um, the way that a lot of people understand the, the afterlife, the way a lot of Christians understand the afterlife, is very much oversimplified. And a lot of it can cannot necessarily be based on a careful reading of the Bible. It can be based on traditions that have been passed down over many centuries, which you guys have already talked about some of those traditions and how they can kind of replace what the Bible actually says about things. And then in the modern world, a lot of our ideas about the afterlife come from uh, media, come from yeah. movies and shows and all that kind of stuff. And you may not watch a movie or a show and think, this is where I'm going to get my theology from, but it just kind of creates its way into your mind yeah that's kind of what's well, gonna it's kind of like the baphomet thing right where modern tv like you were talking about in the last episode satan's always depicted in the 50s and 60s as this little guy in a red suit and a pitchfork and then more modern tv has him depicted as uh satan depicted as like a goat head and like a man torso and then goat legs but that's actually like really vague stuff from the knights templar and stuff like that so is, is that even more present since I guess like the rise of uh, television or even if you go back to like the 1960s when television was just kind of coming on this on the stage, there was still the media affecting, you know, it was just what stories and other things that people would read. I mean, people had a picture in their mind and that's, you know, been altered here and there a little bit, but a lot of those traditions have been even going back that far to the sixties. And before you had a lot of television going on, you still kind of, people had this picture of what heaven, hell and all that kind of how the, all that worked. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of it is, is based in the Bible, but it's not necessarily based on a, a careful reading of the Bible. I mean, one of the problem that we have um, in, in churches across America and it's, it's not the same for, for every church, um, but we, we have a problem with biblical literacy. Uh, not that people aren't able to read the Bible, but that we just don't regularly read the Bible or at least read the whole Bible, right? Mm -hmm. You'd be amazed that, you know, I teach at a Christian high school and I'll ask my kids, you know, that are in high school, almost 18 years old, have you ever read the whole Bible? Have you ever read all of either the Old or the New Testament, and for a lot of them, it's not even close. And I think that's the case for a lot of people, um, even a lot of Christians, that you just don't read the whole Bible. And 
most information we get, if it's not from movies and traditions, it, it can be from sermons on Sunday morning, but that doesn't necessarily always give you the deep dive that you may need. So we, we really try to simplify it to mean, you know, if you're good or if you're a Christian, when you die, you go to heaven. And if you're bad or if you're not a Christian, you didn't accept Jesus as your savior, then you go to hell. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's pretty simple. And that's the way most people view it. But that's not actually the whole story of the Bible and what it says about what happens to people when they die. No, I've never really put a whole lot of thought into this, to be honest, like this whole subject, because it's been, I mean, it's been very straightforward, like you die, you go to heaven, you die, you go to hell. But um, in, in looking at it, I mean, obviously, it seems like there is kind of like a waiting period almost, because it talks about the dead rising and going to heaven when Jesus comes back um, and raptures us all away, right? Yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot a lot going on here, yeah. and, and it's it's really important to define our terms. Um, you know, we, we're going to talk about in this episode, we'll talk about heaven, we'll talk about hell, we're, we're going to throw in a term, um, a couple of terms that a lot of people may not be familiar with, like Sheol and, and Hades, and these are things that I, you know, I was in Bible college for a period of time before I even became aware of them. So I, it's not like I'm saying people should be aware of this or I'm so shocked that they're not aware of it. I wasn't aware of it until I was a couple years into to Bible college, even until I started teaching the Bible more in a church setting, in a school mm-hmm. setting, and, and figuring some of it out. Yeah. Grab a shovel. That's fine. We like <laughs> to go deep on this episode. Yeah. On this <clears throat> uh, show, sorry, episode as well. Both. Well, a, a good place to start is the kind of the beginning of the story of the Bible and, and going through the whole Old Testament. So one thing that I like to point out that I thought was fascinating when I first came upon this is that the, the Old Testament never mentions hell. The concept of hell um, and the way that a lot of people think about it today is never mentioned in the Old Testament. And so when someone first pointed that out to me, I thought, well, that's that's really interesting, right? Why, why is hell not mentioned in the Old Testament and then all of a sudden mentioned in the New. Um, you also don't have this idea in the Old Testament or even really in the New Testament, but especially in the Old Testament of when you die, you go to heaven. There's, there's no language of when you die, you go to heaven. And so those are two places where we have to start and be like, okay, well, that's not really the working assumption for most people. Um, what does the Old Testament, what is the Bible story actually say about this yeah yeah the uh uh, some of the ideas of like the when we talk about eschatology and um uh being raised from the dead a lot of that stuff i know showed up around like second temple periods which is before christ but not like long before christ so Mm -hmm. when you talk about old testament and you talk about second temple period you're really talking about after most of the old testament if not all of it had already been written at that point and so we're still seeing some of these theological ideas, and like the Pharisees will challenge Jesus about, you know, if you're raised from the dead, who who will have this one woman as their wife? And, you know, they're essentially uh, pitting some of these second temple idea theology stuff and trying to trap Jesus in in one form of the controversy. Right. Do you agree with the Pharisees or do you agree with the Sadducees and that sort of thing? So, well, the the main theology I think that's important to focus on at the center of the Bible from the beginning all the way through it is that God wants to be with his people. And so, I would define when we talk about heaven as that good place that people think of, heaven is the realm of God. 
right? And the picture that the Bible presents is not that, okay, this is where the people are. You have earth, right? You have mm-hmm. earth and you guys are down there. And ultimately the goal is for you to make it to heaven. That, that's not at all what the Bible presents us. What the Bible presents is heaven and earth being united. And, and God, the realm of God, heaven, and the realm of humans, the earth, being one place that is that is totally united. That's what we get in the Garden of Eden. Exactly. And that's what God is trying to establish with Israel. And then that's ultimately what's going to be established at the end of the story on Jesus' second coming and his return. And even like as Christians, a lot of times we'll say, yeah, you know, when you you die, you you go to heaven. Or when you become saved, you're going to go to heaven. Or we'll talk about this future existence we're going to have with God when everything's going to be great, and we'll refer to it as being in heaven. But more accurately, the Bible presents us with new heavens and a new earth. And so it's actually about physically this, it's represented by the city of Jerusalem that comes down and it, it is reunited with earth. And so really you could summarize the whole story of the Bible about heaven being reunited with earth. Interesting. Yeah, very good. And we talked about that too, that idea with the angels and demons that the garden, just like you said, is kind of that place where the realm of God, the realm of heaven and the realm of earth kind of intersect. And you find other times in the Bible where, you know, something like that will occur and they'll, uh, they'll mark that as a holy spot, right? Like, uh, um, or, or uh, an event, an event such as like Moses in the burning bush and take your shoes off, you're standing on holy ground. That would be a, a, a point there where heaven and earth kind of intersect there, those significant places. Yeah, and that the beauty of heaven coming down to earth or being united with earth is ultimately displayed in the incarnation when Jesus comes down from heaven to be with us on earth. And it, then it's presented at the end of Revelation, at the end of biblical story, that God is going to be with his people. He will dwell with them and be among them, and he will be their God and they will be his people. Right. Right. I gotta ask. So I, I only like I looked at the scripture like once or twice, maybe five or six years ago, and I've not really put any thought into it. Where do we get this idea of purgatory? Please explain this to me. Oh, so is that pur- something to do with like resting in Abraham's bosom, kind of alluding to that, or is so it- purgatory is falls under the more general topic of the intermediate state. Um, And this is a biblical concept, so it's not just as simple as when you die, you either um, permanently go to heaven or you permanently go to hell. The Bible presents an an intermediate state. And so purgatory is kind of a Roman Catholic spin on the intermediate state. Um, Before, though, I think it might be helpful before we jump into purgatory to talk about what the Bible says about the intermediate state and how purgatory is kind of a spin off of that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So in, in the Old Testament, it never says that when people die, they go to hell. And it never says, except with maybe you could try to make a, f- a couple exceptions, although I don't think there's really good support for it, that when you die, you go to heaven. Because you have the example of, you know, Elijah apparently just goes straight up to heaven, um, which is kind of a weird story. And I, I don't want to base 
my entire theology off of right. one little story like that. Yeah. The other example is that of Enoch, mm-hmm. but the Enoch thing I think gets misinterpreted a lot because it just says that he walked with God and then he was no more, which right. more of a common sense interpretation would just be that he died. That's a way of talking about him dying. And you also get this idea in the New Testament that Jesus is when he resurrects, right, and he goes to sit at the right hand of God in heaven, that he is the forerunner, that he is the first to do so. Mm-hmm. And so it's not something that anyone else has done before. It wouldn't make any sense to say he's the first to return from the dead. He's the first to enter heaven. Um, John, the book of John, talks about how no one has seen God in this way except for Jesus. It wouldn't make sense to say that if other people in the Old Testament had already. Right. And so if people aren't going to heaven when they die, if they aren't going to hell, where are they going? And the Old Testament actually has a lot to say about, I mean, there's a lot of talk about death and what's going to happen when you die. And it presents this place, um, the, the Hebrew word is sheol, sheol. And it's, it's simply a way of referring to the realm of the dead. Um, so some translations that you read in the English will just transliterate the Hebrew word, and it just says Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. Others will um, put something like the pit or the grave or the dead place. But the pit of despair. Yeah, yeah, a little princess bride situation. <laughs> but you, you're supposed to just view it as, in general, this is the place you go where you, when you die. Um, yeah. And when I bring that up, especially in, you know, I teach high schoolers and I'm, I'm sure adults are more aware of it, but most of them are like, what, have you guys been hiding something from us? Have you been hiding parts mm-hmm. of the Bible? We, we've never seen this. It's in the Old Testament over 50 times. It's, it's referenced over 50 times. And um, there's some interesting stuff. So you guys want to dive into oh, yeah. some yeah, of yeah, what yeah, it says do. about Shield? So that's the interesting part is that none, none of this is really talked about, I think, in uh, just Christian culture very much. I think we, we tend to stray away from the idea of looking at what really does happen when you die, um, just because we have the answer that we'll, we'll be at peace, so to speak. But in what form or fashion that is, um, yeah, we don't. I don't remember any time in any of the churches I've ever been kind of heavily diving into a, a legit answer or stance on it. So what's interesting about Sheol is because with, with heaven and hell, you have this clear dichotomy, Right. Um, unbelievers go to hell and believers in Christ go to heaven. You, you don't really seem to have that in the Old Testament with Sheol. Sheol is a place, as it's discussed in the Bible, that both the wicked and the righteous go to, which is kind of right. weird. Um, and, and I can show you some examples. So let's look at, let's try Job 3, uh, starting in verse 11. This is the part where we all tap on our laptops for a second. <laughs> Good thing we yes. have them down here. Right. S- silence is bad radio, right? <laughs> I find it interesting that you were sucked in this portal and actually had your laptop with you, too. Well, I, I just and carry all this, it with this me. information on Sheol is pulled out. That's, that's wild. Yeah, the internet's <laughs> great down here. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, so Job 3, starting in verse 11, he says, Why did I not die at birth? Come out from the womb and expire. Why did the knees receive me, or why the breast that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept, then I would have been at rest. With kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. 
Or, or why was I not as a hidden stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease together. They hear not the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the greater there, and the slave is free from his master. So it's really interesting that Job is in this situation where his life, he's had a really unlucky day, and his life has taken a terrible turn. He doesn't have this sense that a lot of modern Christians have that when you die, it's either going to be this place of eternal joy and happiness in heaven, or it's going to be this place of eternal suffering and punishment in hell. He kind of sees it as a like you just die and and that's where you go, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of it. You're, you're almost at peace. He's saying that it would be better to be there than in his current situation, right. suffering. Because he's life. suffering there, and at least there's that idea of rest. Yeah, it's just you go you there, that. and you're just kind of you're kind of hanging out. Um, this uh, it rings to me kind of like that uh, Greek idea also of where you've got. Um, there's, there's not really a separation in the Greek world when they go to the place of the dead. It is just the place of the dead. Now, who runs the place of the dead is, is essentially, you know, a malevolent Hades is not like a good guy per se, but it, it doesn't have to be this idea of suffering. It can just be kind of a place of rest. So, um, I don't know if there's a, a common theme there. Uh, I would assume the Hebrew idea predates the Greek idea. So Yeah, so in, in the Bible, the New Testament uses the word Hades just as an equivalent for Sheol. So when, when you see Hades mm-hmm. in the New Testament, it's talking about the same place. Yeah. Um, the only thing that you have that's a little bit different, and you can find some of this, I think, in the second temp- temple literature that you're you're talking about because that's rabbis commentating on right. what we have in the Torah and the Old Testament. There, there, there seems to maybe be this idea that there are different sections of Sheol. So the scriptures talk about how Sheol is a place that both the wicked and the righteous go, and, I, and I, we can look at some of those references here in a minute. But the New Testament gives us this idea that maybe they're in different spots, and really the, the clearest place where it does this is in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Are you guys right. familiar with that mm-hmm. one? Yeah. So you Abraham's have, bosom. Right. So you have this place that's referred to as Abraham's bosom, but it's not it's not really heaven. It's not really the ultimate state. It's kind right. of this weird, murky, intermediate land. But the the Lazarus, who is this poor man who was abandoned by the rich man, He's in Abraham's bosom, and he seems to be fine right. in a state of rest and peace, whereas the the rich man who's refused to help the poor is in this state of agony and yeah. pain, and he'll do anything to get out or to make sure that his, his loved ones don't come there. So you, you kind of have these different right. ideas. Mm. But that's that's just one passage, and it's also a parable. And right. so yeah, yeah. Is, is Jesus trying to... That's not how you would necessarily read a, a parable literature there. Mm. there if, I, guess, I suppose you, you get the larger picture of what you do matters in this lifetime, what you do matters, and it will have lasting eternal implications. But he's not like outsetting to design, okay, here's what heaven looks like in a full doctrine of heaven, and then 
what hell looks like and a doctrine of hell. He's more trying to just kind of give you the idea that your your decisions and your behaviors and the relationships that you have in this lifetime matter and that they have ongoing consequences, both good and bad, and yeah. what that looks like. And it's and it does there there are several other places where it doesn't necessarily um doesn't necessarily specify that uh, as of right now, or at least until Jesus comes back, that we are in eternity. Yeah, just uh, like, for instance, our Witch of Endor episode, right? She calls Samuel up, the witch calls Samuel up from wherever he was resting, right? Um, it didn't elude that he was in eternity. He was just resting, so to speak. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it doesn't read like she ripped him out of heaven. Right. He's, he's upset. Because how can you pull somebody who's yeah. in eternity out of eternity? Yeah. Eternity is infinite. Yeah. Yeah, he, he seems to be in a state of peace, which is right. consistent with how the Old Testament describes the realm of the dead. Um, here's here's a couple other verses. So Psalm 31, verse 17. So David says here, he's referring to the wicked. He says, O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the w- wicked be put to shame and let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. And so you have this idea that Sheol is a place of silence. So he wants Mm -hmm. them to go there because they won't be able to say things that are wicked anymore. They won't be able to ruin his reputation. Which kind of might be an answer to what the abyss is. You know, when Jesus is talking to Legion, and they request to be thrown into the pigs, don't throw us into the abyss, maybe, so that they're not silenced, right? Yeah, because it's also, especially in a a negative sense for the wicked, it's seen as almost like a a holding place or a prison. I mean, it's certainly when you go to the realm of the dead, it's not something you can get out of, right? Right. As you guys are finding out down here um, in the underworld, you're you're kind of at the mercy of some higher power to let you out. Hopefully he's generous after the fourth or fifth. Yeah, I don't know if that's one of his known qualities. No. Um, you also, and then you also have this idea, though, like with David, he'll say, he'll be talking about his own life, and he'll say, "God, don't let me die, because when I die, even though he sees himself as righteous, I will go to Sheol, I will go to the pit, and it'll be a place of darkness and silence. I, I can't praise your name in Sheol, mm. and so allow me to continue to live and to honor you and praise your name here. So he sees it as I'm righteous. Righteous people are also going to go to this place. And for me, it's also going to be a place of silence. Yeah. Which is, which is interesting, which is different than, you know, the real simple heaven and hell. dichotomy. Right. You get the idea that, um, uh, Sheol isn't necessarily a place to be, um, in fear and terror of for someone who's righteous, but they're not necessarily gaining from the opportunity to still serve God because they have that opportunity while they're they're light while they're in life, so to speak, and and they lose that opportunity once they're in Sheol. So it's, or at least that's what it sounds like David's referring to there. Yeah, here here is a psalm from the the sons of Korah. And it gives a pretty detailed description of, you know, how they thought of the realm of the dead. He says, For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, 
like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit and the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavily upon me and you overwhelm me with all your waves. So you, you have this kind of description. He, he talks about on down, he says, I am shut in so that I cannot escape. So obviously death is viewed as a bad thing, but mm. he views this as a place that, that he would go to as well. Right. But it's also important to note, though, you know, if we just leave it there in the story, it sounds kind of depressing. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. the mm-hmm. Bible teaches yeah. that no matter if you're righteous or wicked, no longer if, no matter if you're faithful to God or unfaithful, we all just die. That, that kind of just sounds like modern atheism, which is not what the Bible is getting at. If you continue to read it closely and follow the story, you also have these very clear hints that there's this idea of the resurrection of the dead, that mm, people right. will go down to Sheol, they will go to the grave, but that's not the end of the story. There's this hope of resurrection or of uh, eternal life. And th- there's a couple places where that's that's really clear and you guys might be familiar with some of these um let me let me look them up here real quick you suppose we'll recognize each other in that state of um what in sheol uh, yeah yeah well and and that lends to the question too we're we're also after we're after the uh the resurrection so does does all of that change when jesus himself descends into the dead and then, you know, it talks about him having the keys of hell himself. So, you know, maybe, again, we've got the expert here to talk about it, but, <laughs> but, but uh, d- does it change for us because we're after the resurrection as opposed to, like, the saints that lived Old Testament before Christ? Yeah, yeah, a lot of that is tied into the, the hope for the Messiah, um, you know, the Messiah is the turning point of the biblical story. Yeah. There's, you know, the Old Testament, if you just read it as a whole and you read it as a story, it's a pretty depressing story, right? Because it ends in exile and there's right. continual suffering and death and oppression and it's it's not good. But there is this hope that is woven throughout the whole Old Testament that, there's going to be someone who comes along and, and changes everything and, and fixes all of the issues. And, and you see that hope, um, especially of resurrection, um, throughout different spots. So Job, who we looked at earlier, he's talking about death. He also says in Job chapter 14, says, A man dies and is laid low. Man breathes his last, and where is he? As waters fall from a lake and a river wastes away and dries up, so a man lies down and rises not again. Till the heavens are no more, he will not awake or be roused out of his sleep. Oh, that you would hide me in Sheol, that you would conceal me until your wrath be past, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. But then he says, so that sounds kind of depressing, but right. then he says, if a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my service I would wait till my renewal should come. And so he he has this idea, and this, this is the idea of, in Christian theology, of progressive revelation, right? Mm. So there are things we know now that we have the whole biblical story on this side of Jesus that many people, like, it was cool, you, they got to be part of the Israelite community, but there are many things they were ignorant of, right? Right, right? So Job is saying, what I know right now is that when you die, it just seems like you die, but 
Could it be that maybe that's not the end of the story? Could it be that maybe we rise again? And yeah. you can see that develop in Jewish thought. And it's even more clear in Daniel chapter 12. He's having this vision kind of of the future. You know, the, the first part of Daniel, you have Daniel in the lion's den mm-hmm. and Rack Shack and Benny, you know, the vegetables. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and those are cool Sunday school stories. But then the second half is weird. Yeah. It's like weird. All the prophetic stuff. Yeah. Apocalyptic yeah. literature. Yeah. But he has this vision. He says, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, which this is later picked up with the idea of the book of life, and it says, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, which is a way of referring to the dead, shall awake. Mm. So they're not going to stay dead. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And so here's this idea or this prophecy of resurrection, and this is still hundreds of years before Jesus would be born here on earth. Right. And so it's not that the Old Testament is all, you know, you just die and that's it. They're seeds of resurrection. Yeah. Right, right. So ba- basically, it, it seems as though it's kind of alluding to this this idea of just dying, chilling out for a while, and then when when Jesus comes back and brings heaven to earth and, um, you know, the, the rapture and all that starts happening, basically we're either going to, wake up and then live on the new earth or wake up and go be ashamed of ourselves forever. (laughs) Basically. Yeah. 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 Ezekiel has the dry bones passage too. talks about, will these bones live? Mm -hmm. There's that reference there of, you know, he's, he's, he's in a valley of essentially death standing, you know, up to his knees, so to speak in the bones of dead people. And they're, you know, the, the, the question uh, of, the, of the moment is, is, is life possible? He's surrounded by death. And then, you know, he kind of witnesses life kind of take hold of these dead bodies and bring them back to death. So, yeah, you can see that idea of resurrection kind of um, in, in the Old Testament. It's not completely, uh, 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 it doesn't show up out of nowhere. Well, it's very important when we talk about this, too, to bring in that concept of heaven or the place where God is being united with earth, the place where his creation is, because God is the source of life. Right. That, that's what the tree of life represents. The tree of life represents the presence of God. And so if you are connected to the Lord in a loving relationship, then you have eternal life because he is that source of life. But when you become disconnected, from him, you're disconnected from the source of life. And so the ultimate result is, is death. And, and that's where we, that's how we can kind of understand concepts like hell or, or even Sheol, where you temporarily have this spot where, you know, when you die, you're, you're disconnected from God. Everyone yeah. is disconnected mm-hmm. from God based on what we've done in our own lives, right? There has to be some sort of way to connect us back to God, to connect us back to the source of life, and that way is Jesus. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way to the Father. He talks about himself um, as being a, a vine that connects people back to the Father. It's all about being connected to God and his presence through Jesus, and that's how we should understand these concepts of heaven and hell and the intermediate state. Cool. Uh, so we can see if you find in, in scripture, Hades, you can equate that to be 
Sheol. Sheol, yep. Yeah, right. yeah, let me see if I can. I was going to ask, and I don't want to get uh, ahead of you, but the the idea of Gehenna also as a, a reference for the place of the dead, because you'll see that in some scriptures and talks about Gehenna, and what's that? Yeah, so when, when Jesus comes on the scene, you know, they already have this idea of Sheol or Hades in the realm of the dead, but he seems to talk about this new judgment, right? There's this other judgment coming, and from what Jesus says and from what the other New Testament authors say, especially in the book of Revelation, there seems to be some sort of final judgment, right? right? Some sort of final judgment that's coming. And there's actually, we don't really have time for this today, there's debate over how much of the kind of uh, hellfire and brimstone or gloom, doom, and destruction teachings of Jesus are referring to his second coming and the final judgment, and then how many of them are referring to something in the more immediate context, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think a lot of that can be tied to the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in 70 AD when Jesus is warned. I mean, he literally says this temple is going to be torn down. Right. Um, But the real temple that matters, which is me, I'm going to raise it up again in three days Mm. and he's going to replace the temple. And so he's clearly referencing that. And so I think some of this, Hey, watch out, be ready. Bad things are coming. I think some of that is in context, clearly referring to, a historical event that's that's already happened a long time ago, but there's also this reference to the um, the final judgment. Yeah, and, and so Gehenna is a word that's used to to talk about hell, and then he also uses all these images, and they're picked up on in the rest of the New Testament: lake of fire. You know, you have this place where there's going to be weeping and gnashing mm-hmm. of teeth, and um, it's going to be bad. It's just yeah. it's going to be a bad place that you don't want to go to, but a lot of those are, and as we talked about before we, we started this episode, a lot of those are images. They're, they're meant to tell you um, what this place is going to be like. They're not meant to be literal descriptions of, mm-hmm. you know, like if you <laughs> looked up a Yelp review of hell and they'd be like, yeah, it was a pretty fun <laughs> place, but there, I just wasn't weeping and gnashing my teeth the yeah, whole two, time. Two out of five. <laughs> yeah, two out of five. Food was okay, but I don't like <laughs> they, crying when I eat. <laughs> yeah, they, they have a buffet line, but this lake of fire thing is really not much fun. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's not the idea because, I mean, a lot of it's clearly symbolic. You can't have, if it's all literal... You can't have this place of outer darkness and then also a place of fire, right? Literally, fire and darkness, that's, yeah, that yeah. D- they don't go together. Um, the, the place of Gehenna, this physical place they would have known as kind of the town dump, he's not saying literally you're going to go to that place and that's hell, but he's just saying, hey, this place where they have all the junk and they burn it all up, I'm using that to describe what hell is like. Mm. Interesting. And it would have been a place that they they all knew. Right. His audience would have mm-hmm. known that. Yeah. Been like, okay, here's here's an image that you're familiar with. Everybody knows where the dump is and you know what happens there, and and they can see the results of that and feel the heat and that kind of context. And you can say like, okay, kind of like that, but just to get the idea of of uh, what that uh, separation and torment is. And, and whether that be like the immediate or is that the future idea of, of the second judgment? Well, you have, 
it, it's interesting because it could be both. You still have this idea of Sheol in the Old Testament. So Jesus refers to Sheol, or in the Greek, he refers to Hades. Um, so like in Matthew 11, he says, you Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. And so mm-hmm. he's referring to that realm of the dead. Um, in Luke 16, though, which is that parable of the rich man and Lazarus, right. this place where the rich man is in torment is referred to as Hades. It's not referred to as hell. It's not referred to as Gehenna. So that's where you could maybe get the idea ah, that yeah. this intermediate state, maybe there's different experiences you could mm-hmm. have in right. the intermediate state. Right. But once again, that's that's just one passage. Yeah, so you can't like draw out a full... Um, doctrine on what that necessarily be looking what that would look like right but it still is i think pretty clearly referring to shield like in acts 2 peter is quoting the psalmist and it's it's written here it says you will not abandon my soul to hades which is referring to shield i mean it says shield in the the hebrew old testament so this is still something that they're aware of and referring to one thing one passage that i think is a, a real deal breaker on how we understand the intermediate state. Jesus in Revelation one eighteen appears to John. He says, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. So I have the keys of death and Hades. Mm-hmm. So that th- this helps you see again, this image that it is like a holding cell, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a prison where, you you go and you can't get out of it, right? But Jesus is saying, I have the key to death and Hades. Well, why is he able to say that? He defeated death. He, he rose from the dead mm-hmm. and he defeated death. And so the idea, and there's passages that we can look into, um, which may have to be for another time for time's sake, but there's this discussion of, you, you, you guys are familiar with the Apostles' Creed, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes... There's a clause in there that's wrongly interpreted as Jesus descended to hell. Have you guys heard of that before? Spent three days in hell or whatever. Yeah, that he went to hell. When it, where did you know? There's a brand new song where Jesus, um, where it talks about where did you go those three days you were dead, hmm. and that phrase is not. It's not. It shouldn't be hell. It should be Hades. He descended yeah. to to Hades or Sheol. So the idea is that there are these people, the righteous and the unrighteous, that are left there in that holding cell. And Jesus goes and he leaves those that are unrighteous, that were unfaithful to God, but he brings those who were faithful to God, um, you know, from Moses to Abraham to David, all those that were faithful to God, and brings them to heaven. So he, he now has the keys. He's able to open up that cell and to bring them up to heaven. And so from then on, you now have this switch that when Paul and all the apostles talk about, hey, what's going to happen to you when you die? Or your, your loved ones who have started following Jesus and they've already died, what happens to them? Well, you go to heaven to be with God. But it gets confusing because when we talk about heaven in that way, we're still talking about an intermediate state, Right. Yeah, because, we're still not. Ta- we're not talking about like the new new heavens. Yeah, we're yeah. You're talking about of, uh, like like Paul says that to be present with the Lord is to be absent from the body. So it's this existence where, although apparently Jesus has his resurrected body, your, your soul is in heaven with God because it's a spiritual realm, and you haven't had your resurrection body yet. 
But then ultimately, when Jesus returns, the kingdom of God is fulfilled. Heaven is united with earth. That, that's also shown in how we exist, right? Because our soul that is in heaven will now be joined to a new resurrected body. And so the spiritual and the physical will be reunited. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're looking forward to. But that's not even where we are today. So yeah. if you were to say, hey, you know, my grandma was a Christian and she passed away. Well, then she's in heaven, but it's still kind of an intermediate state, right? right. It's not the final state of the new heavens and the new earth. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So, so I mean, then, and theoretically, then it's there's there are people that, um, well, no, I guess I guess you already you said when Jesus died, he took all of the righteous people to heaven with him. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Sorry. So I was gonna say, I guess there will be a, like a small percentage of people that are here during the rapture that are alive that will never get a chance to experience the temporary heaven, so to speak. Well, I um. So you bring up the rapture. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if we want to go into this just for. <laughs> we can touch. We can touch it, and if it seems like it's too big, then. Well, I also want to answer your question about purgatory. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's let's go to purgatory. Yeah. Let's let's save the rapture. Ignore the last what thirty <laughs> seconds. <laughs> so you had asked about purgatory, yeah. which is a a Roman Catholic, and I don't. I'm not an expert on Eastern Orthodox theology, yeah. so I don't know what they believe. But the the concept of purgatory is linked to this deeper difference that we have that Protestant churches have with Roman Catholic churches on how they understand salvation. Mm-hmm. So for Protestants, we understand justification to, to be the, the teaching that ultimately... We deserve punishment. We deserve death. We have this heaping pile of debt to pay because of our sin that we can never pay. But Jesus stepped in and he paid it on our behalf, right? Mm -hmm. And so we point to passages like 2 Corinthians 5 that talk about how Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf so we could be the righteousness of God. And so it's the idea that God views us as righteous because of what Jesus has done. Right, But then we have this concept of sanctification, which means that, well, not only has God forgiven you, not only has he brought you back and said, hey, turn from your sin and come be a part of the kingdom of God, but he also says, now that you're a part of the kingdom of God, you have to learn what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And so not only do I want to forgive you and allow you back in, but I want to transform you, right? Like if you had you know, cheated on your, your wife and your wife is willing to forgive you. She's not just going to say, Hey, I've forgiven you. Right. So that's it. There we go. Just keep living the same way. No, I've forgiven you. And I want you to come back into this marriage relationship and to learn how to be a faithful husband. And I Mm -hmm. want you, your life to be transformed. And what's beautiful is that in a part, the fact that she's forgiven you in this very difficult situation should be a motivation to lead to your transformation. Yeah, You're going to say, oh, like, man, I can't believe she was willing to forgive me after what I've done to her. And naturally, that's going to impact you to change the way you live. Well, in the same way we look at Jesus and how he, he died on our behalf, and we think, man, like he paid my debt. It wasn't his problem. That wasn't his debt. That was all my issue, but he paid it for me. And so now I want to love as he has loved me. I want to forgive as he has forgiven me. I want to live the way he calls me to live. And so we have to learn 
how do you live to follow Jesus in the kingdom of God? Well, where, where am I going with that? Catholic theology seems to view those concepts of justification and sanctification together. Mm-hmm. So rather yeah. than, hey, you've been fully justified, you stand before God completely righteous and able to enter his presence, and then he is in the process of sanctifying you, and you work with him in that, the more that you are sanctified for a Catholic, the more you become justified. And I'm not an expert in, in Catholic theology. Mm-hmm. I, I know a little bit, and I'd be happy to, to if, there's any list, if there's any listeners <laughs> who are Catholic, I'd be happy to, to be corrected or to, to talk more with people. But it seems to be that the more you're sanctified, the more you're justified. So, for example, if you are 50% through the process of your sanctification, which how do you measure that? I don't know. I was going to say, what's the end product look like if it's supposed to look like Jesus? Right. That's <laughs> how do you break that down? I'm, I'm a long way off yeah, of that. Yeah, I was going to say. But if you're 50% through the sanctification process, then you're 50% justified. And so what this means that unless you are in this category of like super saint, uh, maybe the Apostle Paul or <laughs> yeah. Mary, the mother of Jesus, or all these other people. When you die, you're not ready to go straight to heaven to enter the presence of God because your sanctification process isn't complete. And so that's where the need for pur- purgatory steps in. That's how we make sense of, okay, so, and it, it's actually a really good question because as a Protestant, I don't know if I have a great answer. So, Theoretically, when I die, even if I die 50 years from now, I'm not going to be totally like Jesus, right? I'm going to be very messed up still in many different ways. And so when I go to heaven, does God just snap his fingers and magically I'm like Jesus? And then I might think, well, why did I try to work that hard to become like Jesus when God was just going to snap his finger and make it happen? Because you're one of the elect. Okay, yeah. You guys just like opening up other kinds of worms, huh? Well, it's hey, Thomas. Cal- it's Calvinism, Thomas let's, let's go. <laughs> we did that already. No, we've already, already broken the last that. time we did that. Oh, yeah, that was fun. But, but for the Catholic, you go to purgatory to finish the process of being purged or yeah. to finish the process of sanctification. And so after that time in purgatory, you're then ready to enter the presence of God. And so that's why it's it's an intermediate state, but it's not the same as Sheol, which is more like a holding cell. Yeah. And I'll actually have, because that's what students think about when I mention this in my classes. They think I'll you're have, teaching yeah, they're like, purgatory. So Mr. Troutman, you believe in purgatory? Yeah, it's no. Like, <laughs> no, that's, that's not what I'm saying. Quite, quite different, yeah. actually. Yeah, uh, but, you know, we have a lot of selective listeners, so right? That, yeah, that, that that's how it goes. Well, <laughs> there's nowhere you can go; they won't find somebody who's <laughs> only going to hear what they want to hear. Yeah, yeah. The uh, um, I, I you're not really going to find a scriptural position that's going to support purgatory, so to speak. Uh, out of the Maccabean yeah. story, there's like one where yeah. they're like, "Hey, pray for this person who's passed away," mm-hmm. and I think that's where they're kind of building this entire. But it's really, it's built within the tradition of the Catholic Church. It's not like, we're going to turn to verse so-and-so and such-and-such, and and actually, here's where you find it outlined. It's outlined in Roman Catholic tradition, not in the Bible. Well, and that's that's another big difference between Catholics and Protestants, because Protestants hold to the tenet of Scripture alone, sola scriptura. But that was in response to this idea that developed in the Catholic Church of Scripture and tradition. So if it's in Scripture, but also if it's something that's been held up as tradition in the Church, because the Church has been entrusted with the task to teach the Word of Mm -hmm. God, 
then that's also something that's authoritative as well. Right. And um, you have that obviously embodied in the fact that the Pope can speak what's called ex cathedra, that when he <laughs> speaks on matters of faith, he can do so with infallibility. And unlike some other um, churches or religions, or I don't I want to get myself in trouble here, but some <laughs> that are primarily located in Utah, they <laughs> they don't use, the Catholic Church doesn't really use and abuse that. He The Pope has only done it a couple times, and for the most yeah. part, it's related to Mary. The, the, mm, yeah, the doctrine yeah. of that Mary was assumed to heaven, or that Mary was born without original sin, some of that stuff that's I don't think is in the Bible. Right, that, right. That's how the Pope has used it. So. Yeah. Well, um, Great stuff, Carson. I don't want to keep you too much longer. Uh, your uh, wife and kids are probably wondering where you are, and they probably want to see your cool new penguin out, uh, outfit, right? Um, so, yeah, really, thanks for, for joining us. Um, we'll have to do it again sometime in the near future, I'd say. Uh, but, yeah, I guess what, what, ring the bell three times is what he said. And he, yeah, he just, yeah, I think so. I like yeah. to say, too, I, I really like the way you kind of put the justification and sanctification and the, the, the difference that Protestants look at that is like, you got the finished work of justification and a kind of a process of sanctification that we're always working through. Yeah. And, and that, uh, the, the way Catholics, I, I hadn't, I hadn't thought to myself, I hadn't thought to express it that way, but as soon as you started, I thought, yeah, I think you're right about that. That makes a lot more sense. If I thought in my mind, if justification and sanctification were merged as the same thing, I could see where you would, you would buy into the idea of purgatory and the need for it. That would make more sense. Well, the one thing we can learn too from our Catholic friends is that as Protestants, a lot of time we can so focus on justification that we neglect sanctification. And so we don't want to agree with them and say they're the same thing, practically speaking, but we also have to remember that it does matter what you do. It does matter how you work in the process where God is transforming your life. Yeah, hopefully today you've done better than you did yesterday. We're always trying to work towards a closer image to Jesus and not the other way around. Yeah, Jesus calls us to follow him and the, the apostles call us to live out our faith or to work out our salvation. It's an ongoing life process. It's mm-hmm. not just a decision that you make and you're done with it, and that's yeah. it. Yeah. Well, well let's, I, yeah, let's get him out of here. Let's see if this thing works. I don't really don't want to. We're really this hoping this works. I'll cross my fingers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there oh. it is. Oh. oh, wow. Look at him go. Wow. Yeah, he really took off, didn't he? <laughs> This is uh, this is must have been the penguins penguin suit. Oh look, the penguin suit ripped right off of him. <laughs> oh man. Well, this is a very long portal, I think. <laughs> it says it has six more seconds left. So. <laughs> there he is. Okay, he's gone. Uh, well, great, great episode. Um, yeah, uh, if you guys enjoyed the episode, if you have been enjoying it and you uh, you haven't liked us on Facebook, go ahead and do that. Um, share it with your friends and family. Um, we're on Apple uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and a bunch of other ones that I just don't feel like answering right now. Facebook, or, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we so, always post it on Facebook too. So. Always, always, always. So, uh, yeah, as always, this is Thomas. And I'm Sam. And this has been the Silent Planet Podcast. We will catch you all next week. Adios. Adios.